0: But what makes my firm different is that we can help you create designs that are also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Amanda Gates, and I am so freaking excited about today's show. So back in 2009, when I first got on the Twitter, I remember this feed popping up called Daily Love by this dude named Maston Kip. I had no idea who this guy was, but I loved the tweets that he was putting out because it was always about unconditional love, just really loving yourself. And it was always from such a place of rawness. And I thought, How is it that this guy is so wise? Where is this information coming from? And thus, in 2014, his book, Daily Love, came out. This book, if you have not read it, I encourage each and every one of you to do so. It was, he had a blog named Daily uh, Love, and this book was so transformational in my life and just the true meaning of love. Part of the invocation is this a part of you will die and you will begin to search for the elixir to bring you back to life you will seek this elixir in friends lovers enemies books religion heroes songs rituals and maybe even a job or jobs but it was your own light that you were searching for I just loved that invocation and I think it's so true that when our soul is suffering, we seek it in external things. And I think the lesson to be learned is that you need to go within and not seek without. And too often, what do we do? We look for the workshops, we look for the books, we look, look for all those external things. So I am so excited to share with you today Maston and his journey How he went from being, as he claims, a geek, an addict, and a college dropout to an amazing functional life coach who has now authored two books, Daily Love and Claiming Your Power, and really becoming a divine source of light that teaches people how to be their best selves. So today, he and I are going to talk about this elixir that we all seek, what the greatest gift of addiction taught him and how, if you learn to take responsibility for your own life and your choices, you truly can experience heaven on earth. Are you ready? Let's get started. I'm super stoked to have Mastin Kipp on the show today. Welcome Mastin.
1: Hey Amanda, it's a pleasure to be here today.
0: I'm excited. It's uh, early where I am and early where you are. So thank you for saying yes for this.
1: Ah, oh, my pleasure. Super stoked to be here
0: um so you're a a functional life coach but before you started down this path of helping others to you know find their passion and their purpose you yourself had to emerge from addiction and, and really find your own way and your purpose i just want to tell the audience you know in case for some reason they don't know who you are Um, you know, you, you claim to be this addict geek and college dropout. How did you go from that to who you are today to helping people? (laughs)
1: Um, well, that's a great question. And just for some context, you know, um, the work I do now, uh, is a, is a type of trauma informed Coaching—it's the only modality that does uh, combines a trauma-informed coaching process, and the reason why that's so important. And you know, the word trauma is not like, oh my God, donut. It's not like a good—it's not a good word. You know, people don't like that word. You know, donuts are not threatening. Trauma is like scary. It's—it's something that's misunderstood. But doing your emotional trauma work is the most important stuff that you can do to get any outcome that you're going for. So whatever outcome you're going for, a relationship outcome, a financial outcome, a business outcome, um, doing your internal emotional trauma work is the most important stuff. And if you don't think you got trauma, you definitely got to do your work. Uh, and I'll probably explain more about what that means later because it's misunderstood. And it gives some context to the answer that I'm going to give you because, you know, I think um, trauma is a misunderstood uh, term and and how I, how I did it was I did my uh, primarily did my emotional trauma work, and there's a lot that goes into that. But you know, trauma is something that can be this thing that we imagine it to be like a you know a violent act or something like that. That's certainly traumatizing. But there's all kinds of other things that are traumatizing Amanda. Like for example, my mother when I was growing up, you know, she had a broken back, um, still does to this day, and the doctors told her don't have a child. But she's like, you know what? I'm having one. I don't care what you say. And she did, and it made her health, my, my uh, birth made her health deteriorate. And one of the things that, you know, I had to cope with as a child was a mother who was bedridden, who was in and out of hospitals, who had multiple surgeries, who died three times on the operating table. Um, she wasn't able to do, like, pick me up a lot. And because she was, you know, uh, through no fault of her own, you know, sick and not well, there's this thing called a maternal emotional withdrawal where, you know, your maternal figure isn't emotionally present and that creates all kinds of attachment trauma as a child. So I basically learned uh, growing up, essentially to not have self-awareness and to focus on taking care of her through circumstances that were not nefarious, they weren't bad, it was just, what happened was there was no emotional presence there for me like a normal uh, environment. So that led to addiction, that led to codependent relationships, that led to lots of problems later in life and when you know someone goes through an addiction or you know bad relationship, or I got my dream job when I was 22 and lost it three months later because I was so high on drugs, you know, when I hit a rock bottom in my early 20s and thought to myself, like, how did I get here? I want to feel better. Why don't I feel better? And sort of asking why led me on this you know very profound personal development experience uh, that's been going on for 15 plus years. Um, but then working with other people and seeing what's blocking them and asking why led me to this conversation around trauma because basically what I figured out was everybody, everybody has had a life experience that has sort of created a you know, nervous system response, a belief, uh, a life circumstance that is informing why they don't have what they have, what they want right now. And so in personal development and sort of the world that I am in, the trauma conversation doesn't really exist right now because everyone primarily just talks about reframing a belief or, you know, doing an affirmation, which all that stuff is important. But if you don't have uh, trauma as a part of the context of the conversation, you're going to do better coping, but you're not going to get to the root of the problem. And so that's sort of a a long but brief answer as possible to kind of give some context as to how someone can go from, you know, addict, to, you know, helping people on their trauma and doing this, uh, you know, sort of all the, the polar opposite work in, this, in a way.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it really kind of wraps up the, the really what the power, I, I consider Claim Your Power just a, a incredible resource. I'm going to get to that in a minute though. I, and I kind of knew this was going to happen because I have <laughs> so many great things that I want to ask you. Um, so we may bounce around a little bit, but what I wanted to do. One of the things that initially drew me to you was this idea of addict, and um, I have a lot of um, friends and family members over my life that I have. You know, they have addictions, and I think a lot of times people think that addiction is. You know, it's very black and white. You know, you are a drug out. You know, addict or you are an alcoholic, or it's something very cut and dry. And I think there's so many gray area, so to speak, of what an addict can be. And um, one thing that I really resonated with you in Daily Love is this idea that the addict is constantly searching. It's kind of like that coping mechanism that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that in Daily Love and also in Claim Your Power You had this invocation, and I'm going to tell the audience this because I think that a lot of people listening today can resonate to this. You may not define yourself as an addict, but I think that all of us have an addiction to something because of that trauma that we've had, probably from our early childhood. But it says, a part of you will die, and you will begin to search for the elixir to bring you back to life. You will seek this elixir in friends, lovers, enemies, books, religion, foreign countries, heroes, songs, rituals, and jobs. But it is your own light that you are searching for. So I think this is so powerful because I think a lot of people have bad behavior because they're searching for this so-called elixir. And it reminds me of a quote by Dalen Oakes. He, he always says, you, you'll never get enough of what won't satisfy you. And I think yeah. that's the journey of the addict, which I think, I, I believe you're, you know, you get your dream job at 20, you're in the music business, you're doing a shit ton of Coke, you know? And this,
1: yeah, that's basically
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you hit rock bottom and kind of spiral out. I, I'm just, you know, you're 20 years old you can't possibly have the foundation to make good decisions. How did you go from, you know, complete despair? You also talk about in your book, how you had this amazing, um, kind of surreal experience where Jesus kind of steps into you and, and takes over and, and really saves your life, which I think is so powerful. But from all of this, from this despair comes the daily love, which is such a, you know, polar opposite of where you were. And I think it's such a, a beautiful thing. What was your greatest hope? Why did you start the daily love?
1: Oh, well, um, you said a lot of important stuff just now. Um, <laughs> a lot of stuff. So, so let's, let's define what addiction is. So, uh, my friend Tommy Rosen, uh, probably has, he's an addiction expert and a yoga expert. And, um, his definition of addiction is probably the best one I have. I'll probably won't get it perfect, but basically um, it's a behavior that you do consistently uh, over and over again, despite the fact that it brings negative consequences into your life. Uh, um, And so like by that definition, you know, we look at addiction slightly differently. And again, um, when you talk about addiction, not being black and white, this is true for trauma. It's true for pretty much all of life. It's a spectrum, right? It's not just, I am, or I am not. There's, there's absolutely a spectrum. Uh, There's a spectrum of trauma. There's, there's all kinds of. We have to, we do have to view it through the idea of a spectrum or different shades of gray. And so, and 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 I'll go a step further. And you know, um, the 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 journals and the research and the data are starting to catch up to this, but it's still not in the zeitgeist for you know uh, psychiatrists and, and therapists. Um, so you're th- if, you, if you're seeing a psychiatrist or therapist, they may not have this information yet. But addiction is a response to trauma. It is a coping response to trauma. People who say it's a dis-ease or a disease, um, sure. But you know, back in, 100 years ago, doctors were doing diagnosis. You know, they wouldn't say you, know, you have, uh, I don't know, some, some complex diagnosis. They would say, oh, you have a headache. You have a fever. You have dry mouth. They wouldn't say you have the flu because they didn't have the ability to have that type of diagnostic power back then. And so the same thing's true in the mental health and sort of addiction space is that we look at these symptoms and say, oh, you have this symptom, addiction. You have this symptom, ADHD. You have this symptom, narcissism, whatever it might be. And the the system is not set up yet to be able to understand where that comes from for lots of reasons. Um, but the data is so clear that developmental trauma, attachment trauma, environmental trauma, shock trauma, all those things, generational trauma, uh, contribute to and then eventually manifest as addiction and these mental health disorders that we're having. The irony of mental health is that it shouldn't even be called mental health, and here's why. Because all, not all, the majority of the data the majority of the stuff that's not working well or coping well isn't in the brain, it's in the body. Because there's 10 times more information that goes up from the body into the brain than from the brain down to the body. And so mental health is a byproduct of whole body trauma health, essentially, because there's all kinds of systems in the body that get disrupted when you have trauma. So we need to be looking at a body um, solutions, somatic solutions, emotional solutions. um, And when you fix those things, environmental solutions, when you fix those things, you know, the, the brain magically starts to, uh, you know, work better, um, because it's getting supplied by the body, not the other way around. In fact, uh, the, the gut microbiome is really emerging as the first brain, um, which we can get into the science later. So I think that, um, you know, addiction is real. You can be addicted to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, porn. You can be addicted to a job. You can be addicted to money. You can be addicted to not having money. You can be addicted to opiates. You can be addicted to uh, fighting with your spouse. I mean, there's so many things that you could be quote, addicted to. And all those things are really just manifested coping mechanisms for underlying stuff that has to come up. And so the most important work, that's why I say the most important work is the trauma work. And, you know, emerging from, uh, you know, addiction myself, you know, having this sort of encounter where one day, you know, after a breakup and it was, I lost my job and I was just really down and out and I was binging. I kind of had this like hyper real experience and I'm not like someone who likes to exaggerate and, um, you know, claim spiritual encounter when it, just to sell a book. Like I'm just telling the truth. This is what my experience was. There was a presence. It could have been my higher power. It could have been Jesus. It could have just been my knowing, you know, I, I am a Christian mystic. So I do view life through the Christian lens. But but it felt like this presence was like, dude, stop. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I threw everything away and, and I went cold turkey. And I never went to rehab. And and you know, that's a, a a rare thing. A lot of people need that rehab. The rest of my life was rehab basically, uh sort of unofficially after that. But I wanted to feel better. And so I didn't have necessarily the executive function or the maturity to understand. Uh, what I know today, but I had this general desire to feel better and this general desire to connect with my higher power, and somehow, you know, that's what the word grace is all about—unearned um, favor. Somehow, through all that, you know, it, it's emerged to what I am today, just through pure grace. Because there's lots of ways I could have died by now, for sure, <laughs> for sure, um, and that hasn't happened. And so now I'm here to serve other people, and the daily love was just another extension of that. And then, you know, I, you know, the daily love became—it was a blog that became very popular. Oprah started reading it. She started talking about it. She started t- you know, talking about it on television and stuff like that. And I decided to kill it because as I started to work with people, I started to realize like this blog thing is cool, but like I found this, there's a problem here that no one's talking about, which is this root cause trauma. So I literally stopped a successful business to go pursue this trauma work. And it's been a reemergence over the last couple of years into this new direction. So like, what is that blog guy talking about trauma for? You know, it's like because this is the most important question. And now my, my mission, my moonshot in life is to, you know, bring an end to emotional trauma so that human beings can thrive. Cause I believe it's the root cause of pretty much every problem that we have.
0: Mm, amen. I just saw the other day that Tommy is uh, celebrating 10,000 days of sobriety. <clears throat> yeah, so he
1: loves the brag, doesn't he? No, I'm, just yeah. I'm just kidding. No, no, he's, he's amazing. 10,000. That's, that's incredible. And he's an amazing soul yeah, he totally is. He totally is. He's, uh, he's amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I cracked up when I read your book that, you know, you crashed on his couch and like, you know, he just became kind of like your, your personal ashram. I was like, all right, right on.
1: Yeah. That's (laughs) kind of that grace I was talking about.
0: So I'm just curious. I don't know if you've ever been asked this question before, but again, you know, I have a lot of people in my life that do have or struggle with addiction and I'm Just curious, you know, what has been your greatest gift that addiction has taught you and and what did it take from you?
1: Hmm. Weird um, response for you. Um, So number one, um, if you look at the body, okay, which is where addiction lives, there's no such thing as a bad response. There's only an adaptive response. So, everything the body does, whether it's a sugar craving, alcohol craving, craving for whatever, it's actually there for a purpose. There's a reason that's there. Um, and so, when you view addiction through this lens, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I've been in the rooms for a long time. There's a lot of shame in those rooms. Um, and, and when you claim like high amassin and I'm an addict, you know, that might work early on in acute recovery but you you better be very careful about what you say after the words I am um, because that tends to become true. So now when I'm in the rooms, I say, hey, I'm acid," and I experience addiction or I cope with addiction, but not I am an addict because I am not an addict. I am a soul with a body who has uh, cravings, and there's a good reason for that. Everything the body does has an adaptive response because there's an underlying dysfunctional pattern. And so, for example, my root craving was sugar because growing up, you know, my mom wasn't there. She was in bed. My father would make breakfast and he would give me cinnamon toast a lot of times for breakfast. So when I was like trying to get clean, you know, I could give up the alcohol. I could give up the cocaine. I could give up all that stuff. No problem. Not no problem, but not like, it wasn't like white knuckling it. Right. But like you take away my sugar and my cinnamon toast, I'll murder you. You know what I mean? You know? So like, like that's interesting. And I was like, why? But like my body links love with cinnamon, right, and sugar. And I was like, oh my God, of course it does. Like when I finally realized like, this isn't just some random disease, you know, this is like me trying to like hold on to love, which makes complete sense. I just never thought of it that way. There was never lens that way. So a couple things. In the recovery process, um, it gave me my life. You know, I learned about self-disclosure in the rooms. I learned about sharing, I learned about community. Um, I learned about, you know, giving up, um, you know, that arrogant mind and, you know, making a list of all the ways I hurt people um, and then doing my best to make amends. Um, I learned a lot about, and, you know, I took the 11th and 12th step very seriously about like making conscious contact with God and then serving addicts. But the way that I do it is, and I'm not anti 12 step. I think that 12 step, you know, obviously is an incredible model. Bill Wilson is probably next to Jesus someone who's had the biggest impact on the world, literally, um, in terms of lives saved and the the impact of his work. Um, and it's not a complete model. The model needs to be expanded, which is why Tommy's around. Other people are starting to emerge because the relapse rate is huge. So don't stop your 12 step work. Don't not go to the meetings. Like keep doing that, but let's look at other things that have to happen too. So the other, the, the thing that I think addiction really taught me is that, you know, um, we need a whole body uh, solution, right? We can't just have this, like, let me white knuckle it. And by the way, if you go to like, for example, an AA meeting, right? And people are like, I've been sober for 30 days, 40 days, you know, 10 years, 30 years. If they haven't done their trauma work or their gut work and like trying to heal their, you know, their microbiome and their gut, like you're going to see them in the back, like smoking, you're going to see them in the back, uh, you know, pounding donuts or something like that. And they've just transferred the addiction from alcohol to sugar, from alcohol to cigarettes, from alcohol to you know, you know, the 13th step is, is famous where you're like you know are you know, sleeping with people in the program. Like there's lots of stuff that happens that's not alcohol that's still addictive behavior. And when you you know start to give up the cigarettes, you start to give up the sugar, you start to realize you know what this all comes back to some type of attachment trauma where this behavior equals love, this behavior equals safety. And so you know, there's a lot of uh, new modalities that are emerging to supplement, not replace, but supplement the 12-step model because it's it's a really good model. But it's like a, it's like think of think of it as like kale, like kale is super nutritious. It makes a great salad, but like you need a little bit more things in the salad to have like a really kick-ass salad, you know. Um, and so I, I think that um, what addiction has taken from me. I don't see that. The hard part for me is I don't really view it that way because, like, there's so many things that I don't have because of it, and you know there are people in my life who have died because of it. But for like my experience has been, it's given me you know wounds, perspective, wisdom. Um, if I look at other people in my family, um, you know, who have suffered from addiction, and, and you know, my cousin committed suicide. You know, it took my cousin. If I think of it systemically, not just my experience. You know, it took my cousin. But I also feel like it's not really the addiction that did it. It's like our approach to healing it has to change too. You know, we, we, I had a friend of mine who called me recently who's a, a friend of theirs that took their own life. And in their note basically said, you know, because this is, you know, this diagnosis is basically incurable, I don't want to be around. The belief is that there can't be healing. And so I think that um, I view more the system of healing as the, the reason why, you know, things aren't happening Uh, You know something got taken then like the addiction because the addiction is just a normal natural response to some type of Thing you didn't get or thing that you want. It's a solution to a problem It's not a good solution and our system needs to wake up To the to the trauma-informed approach for mental health and for addiction care Because without that you're not going to get the long-term transformation, you know um, It's not going to happen relapse is so much greater if you, you know, don't take trauma into account because what relapse is, is a default back to old coping mechanisms. That's all it is. Um, And those coping mechanisms are there because of an unhealed trauma. So, you know, it, to me, it's more, I, I view it more than what the system has taken versus addiction, because to me addiction is like a natural response and like the data is out there. It's just that the system hasn't incorporated it yet. And so that's why I do what I do to like get more awareness about this stuff because you know, the data and the research is so clear.
0: Yeah, wow. I agree with you with the I am statement. I think that's powerful because you're releasing that vibration into the universe and it's like you are affirming that that is who who you are and what defines you.
1: Yep. That's so, 100% true.
0: If you're listening to this, take note. <laughs> I uh one of the things that I thought was really powerful uh is you say that the addict is someone who is looking for God in all the wrong places mm-hmm. and I can definitely see this on and the people that I know because it, they're, you know, they are searching for that elusive elixir. And like you said, it's just a transference. If they're not doing the drugs, then they transfer the, the addiction to something else. And, and I think it's it, like you're talking about, it's about this trauma and it's this um, undeniable search i feel like it's because they have really escaped their divine light and because they're not connected to their higher selves and their higher purpose it's like they're fidgety they can't quite make sense of you know the purpose of everything and to me that really brings in this idea of spirituality and i want to read one of your definitions of spirituality is hands down the best that i've ever heard You say, it's not the clothes you wear, the places you shop, the things you own, or who you know. It's a measure of how loving a person can be. And love, according to you, love is an unconditional acceptance of what is. And I think that's brilliant because I think so many people, um, I, I have a term called above and below the cross emotions, and I feel like the majority of society is in below the cross where they're in shame and guilt and hate and anger and all this, these gross emotions. And I'm just curious from your perspective, why do we struggle so much as a society with this? Why are we so, why is it so hard for us to love ourselves and love one another?
1: <laughs> Can't we all just get along? Roddy exactly. say, you know? um, okay. So do you want the actual answer?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay, I don't know if you're going to like this answer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, be
0: prepared, everyone. Yeah,
1: so, so, so I was raised by a biologist, a PhD in biology, okay? So, like, I, even though I, I'm a college dropout, you know, the, the amount of work I have, I have over 10,000 client hours, the, the amount of research I do, the, the books I've written, the, the client results I've gotten, like, you know, in the real world, I probably have, like, 10 PhDs. I've written probably, you know, 100, like, you know, different theses, if you will, um, about different things, and, and I, I've been deep in study, I just never submitted it to like an academic review board, just like helping people, you know, because I just kind of skipped over academia. Um, but I say that because I have a very, you know, I have, this, I have this sort of like paradoxical lens. One is I have a very deep, profound spiritual lens that I view the world through, but the other one is I have a, a very sort of hardcore biological lens that I view the world through because I was raised by a biologist, and when you look to nature, Right, nature gives us a lot of clues, and you know, uh, the thing about nature is, uh, you know, people. uh, I'm I'm completely against, for example, factory farming. Okay, horrible. Um, But if you saw how animals were killed in the wild, factory farming, in a sense, would look compassionate because animals are eaten alive every day. Okay, Um, it's it's violent in in the wild. There's a lot of violence out there. The difference is. When an animal kills an animal, it's for food, it's functional. We waste so many lives and it's not a good idea. And I'm not justifying it. But my point is, is that there's a lot of, you know, violence in the the wild. When you look at how human beings have evolved out of this sort of crazy, you know, predatory environment, you know, somehow, not that long ago in our evolutionary history, we developed this thing called a prefrontal cortex that gave us these, you know, executive functions that have helped us, you know figure out fire we have opposable thumbs we started to build machines you know we started to you know create you know mass agriculture we have emerged out of the primal soup as these beings that have this sort of greater executive function and ability to solve problems and we have opposable thumbs so we have these like biological advantages the problem is that if you look at what we've evolved out of okay back in like moses's day which in biological terms is not that long ago it's like yesterday, okay cause we've been evolving for millions of years. So, you know, Moses was basically, you know, in evolutionary terms, like basically yesterday, the big aha of the day was, this is the aha moment. Like imagine you're watching super soul Sunday and Moses is on. Okay. And he's like, all right, guys, don't murder each other. And they're like, Oh my God, totally. <laughs> like that's the aha of the day. Right. That's the, that's the big idea right and and oprah's on super soul sunday back in you know back in moses's time going totally good idea right and like that was the paradigm at the moment why though because we evolved and emerged out of this very violent environment where it was predatory and you know people talk about you know sexual assault like that the reason why it's so prevalent it's a biological reason right if you go to like for example any monkey forest in bali you're going to witness sexual assault all day long because there's a biological impulse for that type of procreation. One monkey goes up to another monkey. They kind of get it on. They leave. There was no dating or consent, right? And that's a very primitive primal response. And so we've evolved beyond that. And so what's happening now with like the me too movement, what's happening now with all these morals that are emerging with all these women being elected with the power, the patriarchy changing, like we're up against, you know, millions of years of evolution that has had it the other way. That's why it's so crazy right now, because what I believe is, is that, you know, human beings also evolved to have love as a competitive survival advantage, connection as a survival advantage, cooperation as an evolutionary benefit. And so what's happening is, you know, from an an evolutionary perspective, you know, evolution is now saying all of these things, you know, sexual assault, violence. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know, scarcity, all these things are no longer evolutionarily necessary because we've evolved beyond them, but it's still in our DNA because, you know, this behavior has been happening for millennia. And so I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that we basically emerged from this primal world where like, it was just like predators are, you know, eating things, killing things. There's no law and order. A couple thousand years ago, it was like, Hey guys, don't kill each other. We're like, wow, new idea. Right. And then it's been evolving since there. And we've, you know, in terms of evolving from Moses' time, we've definitely come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. So the reason why we can't get along, basically, is because we never have, because it's been this primal kind of everyone for themselves world. And now we live in a world with artificial intelligence, with the internet, with abundance. And so like those sort of primal survival skills are no longer necessary in the world that we live in today, which is why we're having all these social justice movements emerge because it's an evolutionary and survival necessity that they emerge because we, with technology compounding on top of all this, we, you know, behaving like primal predators, we won't make it. (laughs) So we need to have a social change because we're emerging out of this sort of primal soup, if you will, and like creating values like, you know, lions and tigers and bears don't have, you know, a constitution. They don't have a declaration of independence. They don't have moral values. They're just like, I'm hungry, I'm gonna fucking eat that fish. I'm gonna kill it, you know? So, like that's not how we operate in society. We have we have higher principles. So, and it's gonna take a second for every all you know, on an evolutionary chain for all that to get into alignment, but you're witnessing the death of the necessity of brute force and patriarchy for survival, and you're seeing this emergence of soft skills, this emergence of feminine power, you're seeing this emergence of diversity. Every healthy system has uh, diversity, and you're seeing that emergence, so uh, we're in the middle of a huge paradigm shift from you know this like, primal world into this uh, higher values world, and so we're working it out, that's how I would say it. <laughs>
0: i 'm curious you know, since a lot of your work stems from this emotional trauma, you know could a lot of this old paradigm that 's falling away is this triggering people is it is it
1: oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally a hundred percent you know it depends on if you 're ready you know um, and and people are people are becoming more and more ready, but you know i mean let 's talk about you know United States politics. Um, what's happening right now, right? You're seeing this huge sort of bifurcation of quote sides, if you will. And what's happening is like the way that I view it, isn't it Republican or Democrat? Uh, I view it through the lens of who's trauma-informed and who's not, who's aware of the experience of the marginalized and who's privileged and who doesn't have that experience. And so what's emerging is that people who have been marginalized are like, hey, we're kind of done with this, you know, yeah. we're done. And the people who have been in power for a long time are like, uh, I don't think so right? We don't like that. That's scary. That's threatening our survival. But, you know, um, over a, a period of time, um, you know, you're going to see the emergence of more and more trauma-informed care, more and more the valuing the perspective of the marginalized people of the world. Um, and yeah, it's super triggering. And, you know, this is a, this is a special time because it's not like we're, there's not, not the United States is a divided country. We're a very wounded country and we are working all of that out. You know, um, when they talk about all lives matter, there's a truth to that. But the problem with it is that it minimizes the very important, um, you know, uh, uh, movements of like black lives matter, the LGBTQ community, like it, it minimizes those things. You know, it's kind of like a, like a, a ambulance, right? You call 911 cause your house is on fire and uh, they're like, okay, got it. And they're like, okay, when are you gonna send the ambulance to my house? You're like, Oh, we're not gonna send it to your house. We'll send it to somebody's house, but all houses matter. You know it, just, it, you know, it makes no sense. It's like you send it to the place where there's the most fire. And right now, you know, you look at the Native American Indians, you look at uh, women's rights, you look at survivors, you look at, um, you know, black lives and, and, and all minorities. Like there is a, a necessary systemic shift that has to happen to, you know, get everyone on the same page of equality and, 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 uh, and, and intrinsic value being the same. And, and that's what's happening right now, and so and we're we're sort of um cleansing if you will or up I look at this as a human software upgrade we're upgrading the software to say you know this white patriarchy thing doesn't work so good anymore we're gonna do it this other way, and you know there's always a resistance to change, but um it's an idea whose time has come that can't stop, and it's not a republican idea or a democratic idea it's a human rights idea um and that's why it's gonna it, we we're 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 not gonna come back from it it's 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 uh it will emerge and we will have equality. And it's just, you know, you're fighting, you know, literally millions of years of evolution that's been the opposite, which is why it's so chaotic right now. But in the middle of crisis is an opportunity and that's, that's how I view it. And, um, you know, you look at the recent midterm elections on the Republicans and Democrats elected more women than ever before, right? So there's just a lot of uh, change that's happening. First Muslims, um, you know, I mean, many, many, first openly gay governor, like a lot of things are starting to shift. Um, and so, you know, we're rewiring ourselves on a global scale and, and what's been uh, necessary for survival. And now it's the soft skills like empathy, love, inclusion, equality that are necessary for survival. And, um, you know, from a biological perspective, any of the mindsets or belief systems that don't line up with that, eventually are going to die off because that's what happens in evolution is that what's no longer necessary for survival, um, it's called, you know, um, survival of the fittest, right? And so in survival, the most adaptable to change those old paradigms will die off. And Steve Jobs has a great quote. He talks about how death is the great change agent, right? So, you know, you're going to see a very different world in the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And um, it's going to be abundant and awesome and amazing. And right now we're going through some growing pains.
0: Without a doubt. I, uh, one of the things that I love is that you have this love model as opposed to the head model. And I agree so much with this because I, I do think that you mentioned the patriarchal, way of doing things and it's a very heady way of doing things it's we're up in our head it's all very analytical it's very left brain um, as opposed to really doing things from our heart and in uh, daily love you have a quote from carolyn mace that says only when you take responsibility for your life and your choices will you experience heaven on earth and i think the the way that we can really experience you know that that true heaven on earth is if we are operating from our hearts, um, and really unconditional love. But tell us a little bit about your your Kip Love Therapy. I, I'm curious if this is part of your process with the helping people through their emotional trauma.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So it's called it's called a uh, Kip Heart Therapy, and um, basically, um, it's a it's a somatic or emotional experience. And and what we do is we help people, you know, get feel safe in their nervous system. takes a couple days, usually the retreat, to kind of calm down, get centered. And then we walk them through a process where they're able to talk to their heart. And what's so cool is that there's a a field called whole body intelligence. And what we're learning is like every organ in your body has, how should I put this, intelligence. Mm -hmm. And when you know how to calm your mind and listen to the emotions of your body, um, you can have a, a conversation, a little conversation. And that's that effect I was talking about where there's that information coming up from the body into the brain. I mean, that's what intuition is, right? So intuition lives in the body. That's information that comes from your body up to your brain. And so um, the process essentially helps people get in touch with literally like their heart or their intuition or their higher power, their wisdom, whatever you want to call it. It lives as a uh, experience in the body, as an emotion in the body. And it doesn't, um, it's not accessible when, uh, you are typically in fight or flight and depression, all type of stuff. It, it, it can be if you know how to look for it. It's very subtle. But we help people get safe, feel safe, and then access it. And it's not a religious thing. It's not a, uh, a cult thing. It's just like a human thing that helps everyone has it, like breathing, right? It's like, we're going to help you breathe better. We're going to help you feel your uh, body better and make better decisions and tap into that uh, higher wisdom, that intuition. And um, it's a process that emerged for me Um, by accident, just again, working with clients, you know, all of the stuff that I teach or bring to the world came from real life experience. It wasn't like I was just like sitting on a meditation pillow thinking, Hmm, today I'm going to do this. You know, uh, it comes from actually working with people and it's amazing what happens when people get in touch with that part of their body and their, uh, Decision making process, you know, amazing things happen. Relationships improve. Uh, people get better jobs. People earn more money. Like it's really amazing. And you know, sometimes people think it's the strategy that matters. Like give me this, you know, sales strategy or this webinar strategy or something like that. And you know, the strategy that matters most is healing that trauma, getting in touch with your higher decision making uh, functions and your intuition to realize: should I even be doing this webinar? <laughs> right? Um, is this the right one to do? Uh, what should I say? Um, and so it's a, it's a powerful process. We typically teach that stuff sort of at like longer retreats and stuff like that to create like a safe environment for people because it's really, I mean, you can do it from home, but to really get trained up on it, it's important to do it in person and and have an experience of it.
0: Yeah. I think it's a brilliant because I I do think that we are way too heady of a society and, and we don't operate from our hearts and I get caught up in it too. I mean as a business owner, I'll get caught up where I'm in the go, go, go strategy. We got to come up with a plan and it's like, okay, wait, I've got to stop. I've got to sit in this. I've got to feel it out. And it can be totally, hard. Totally. Because our society is so go, go, go. Um, one of the things that you mentioned and Claim Your Power is that we are all born with a gift that only we can give to the world. And if you don't give it, the world will be less. I think that's so powerful. If you're listening to this show today and you have something kind of stirring in you, you can feel that fire in your belly, but you're just not listening. You're not paying attention to it. You're pushing it down for whatever reason. You know, I think the biggest one is, oh, I can't possibly do that. I'll never make money at it. You know, that's ridiculous. One of the things that I love about Claim Your Power is Mastin just has this like kick-ass approach like screw all your your whys and why you can't do it and you basically lay it out in a 40-day process of really helping people get past like limiting behaviors the stories that are holding them back how to override those coping mechanisms and and just getting really down to the root of discovering um, their true purpose and I'm curious what's the one thing in the book that you feel is the most valuable, but perhaps the most underrated?
1: That's a great question. I think it's uh, how I define purpose, you know, because I came from a scientific background, and in science, you know, scientists have common definitions and agreement of terms. Right. So, for example, uh, in science, you know, one of the things that they use is called degrees Kelvin. It's not a Celsius or Fahrenheit scale. It's it's a Kelvin scale. And, and, And we all agree on degrees Celsius and degrees Fahrenheit, too. But, you know, scientists use degrees Kelvin. Could you imagine if, like, China, U.S., Canada, the U.K., and Russia, like, had different scales that they were using and we didn't agree? Like, it would be impossible to have, like, conversations about basic things because it's like no it's five degrees no no no, it's 10 degrees no it's negative 100 actually it's a thousand degrees like we'd be so confused right and and the same thing's true in personal development like you know when i came into this space i expected that there was like a common lexicon of words and what they meant and we all agreed on them right and that wasn't the case you know like a word like purpose for example you know you got rick warren with the purpose driven life wayne dyer's talking about purpose so many people talk about purpose from their own lens and, and there was not a common definition, but these books are amazing. But when I would ask my audiences, you know, either, you know, thousands of people and I would say, Hey guys, so like, how do you define purpose? And some people would say, Oh, it's uh, why you're born or it's, um, you know, it's, it's your gift or it's impact or it's serving others. And if you notice, those are all different definitions. Um, and so what I decided to do is create like a common definition. And the way that I define purpose, uh, just one thing for context you know, is, is through this lens, we set goals in life because we want an emotional payoff. We want to feel, you know, for example, in a relationship, we might want to feel love and passion and connection and intimacy. When we lose weight, we want to feel energy, self-respect, or levity. When we're making money, we want to feel free and we want to feel safe. And so what I realized was is that everyone's going for these like external goals, but there is an internal emotional power or goal that they were trying to hit, and just like interior design, right? You can't, it doesn't matter how you paint the house, it's how it's on the inside that matters most, right? And so, it doesn't matter what's going on. You can have the best outside, but if the inside's not working, it doesn't matter if the plumbing's clogged, or if the, the, the room isn't set up well, it's not gonna function well, no matter how good the paint is on the outside. And I started looking at these high performers, and they were going for these goals. And one of my friends, you know, their only goal was to get on the New York Times. And they spent, you know, 18 months planning, strategizing, stressing, trying to get on the Times. They made it. She was happy for three days. No. Right? So she had 18 months of time invested for three days of happiness, right? And you're like, that doesn't seem like a good use of time and, and a good ROI. So basically, I said, guys, it's, this is not about external stuff. It's internal. And what I started to realize was everyone's going for emotions. So the way that I define purpose is it's an emotion that you generate and cultivate within yourself and then express to the world in the form of service to others. It's an emotional state that you cultivate. And generate within yourself and express to others in the form of service. Everything's an emotional game. Life is moving towards soft skills. When you have the right emotional states, you know, you create safety in a relationship, you create safety in a community, in a culture. You know, the, a business culture is a, a group of shared emotions. Tony Zappos, uh, I'm sorry, Tony Shea, who um, you know is the founder of Zappos, wrote a book literally called Delivering Happiness, which is an emotion. Everything, you know, you transfer good emotional states to your clients, that's called Raving Fans. Um, you know, there's better emotional states with clients and with your team. There's, you know, less turnover, better clients, more profit. It's all an emotional game. You know, I never met someone who's getting a divorce because they were just in great emotions together all the time, you know? Um, and so it's an emotional game. And so yet that means you have to have emotional awareness. You have to figure out, well, how do I want to feel? And the emotional intelligence, which is like, what do I got to do to feel that way? What do I got to heal to feel that way? And then the most important one is the emotional fitness of Now I got to do it every day. You know, um, and people have this mindset with personal development that's so weird because, you know, the fitness community, no one ever said, well, I went on that diet two years ago for two days and it didn't work, you know. But they'll go, I went to that seminar two years ago for two two days and it didn't work. It's like, guys, this is a lifestyle. You know, this isn't like a now I'm fixed moment. It's like, no, it's a lifestyle experience. You have to, like, change your lifestyle. And so that definition of emotion – I'm sorry, purpose – be an emotion that you cultivate within yourself and express to others in the form of service, I think is probably one of the most powerful parts of the book for sure.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's a great book. And I actually got the uh, audio version and I think my favorite thing was you reading it to me because you're just so fired up and you're like... (laughs) excited about it and like yeah just listening to it you're like I want to go kick ass and take names I
1: love it I love it I love it I love it yeah and, and the audiobook was fun too because uh, I had a buddy of mine who does audiobooks and and he kind of like will read and if he's thinking of something he'll like break from the book and say hey hold on by the way and he'll, they'll go like deeper into certain topics and I was like that's a cool idea so I did that for my book and uh, people seem to like that because I kind of just do these riffs
0: um, yeah was- in the book It was great. And I I love that uh, you talked about helping people get undead and dead is falling short of your potential. I loved that. I laughed out loud when I first heard it.
1: (laughs) Oh, good. I love it.
0: I'm curious, you know, why do you think we keep talking about this idea of trauma and how we hold on to that and that produces basically a coping mechanism, which then, you know, turns into addiction. Why are so many people you know, walking around unfulfilled? What are they scared of? What's preventing them from really stepping into, you know, their highest potential?
1: Again, I might not give you the answer that you're looking for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here we go. Uh,
1: but, but I think it's simple, actually. So um, it makes a lot of sense when I put it this way. You know, um, we uh, are about to step in, you know, we're very close to 2020. Okay. And to make – this makes me feel old, this idea, but we're, like, closer to 2050 than 1985. I know. Right? Like, wow. Okay. Um, And so we're we're in a new age. We have artificial intelligence. Um, Like, I just saw an article this morning that, like, an artificial intelligent toilet will, like, diagnose your poop and tell you about health problems. Like, that's crazy, right? Wow. I mean, like, we're 3D printing hearts. We're, like – extending life. Like there's so many things that are starting to happen. You know, AI is taking away jobs. There's a fully automated, you know, restaurant in San Francisco that's run completely by machines. You know, like we're in a whole new world. Okay. Yet in our bodies, our nervous system, we live with this post-depression, great depression trauma where, you know, our parents or grandparents or great grandparents went through the great depression. They experienced significant uh, scarcity And this idea of just get a job, just get an education, just kind of do this thing to earn money, like lives with us as a mindset. And, you know, not that long ago, our families had like this really good um, reason to say stuff like that. But the problem is that we live in a world where people are making $100,000 a year playing video games. Mm -hmm. We live in a world today where, you know, uh, clients of ours who are, you know, coming out of jobs, like a year later are like tripling the income they're making from a job. You know, living a business that they love, right? So, like, we live in a completely different world. It's changing so fast. And so, I think it's really about healing this sort of like trauma around the Great Depression, around World War II, where that says, like, you know, they, that generation went through some crazy stuff, some painful stuff. And the advice to their kids, and they got passed down to us and, you know, our kids is get a job, you know, be happy with what you got, be happy that you have a roof over your head you know, and be happy that you got food. And while we should absolutely be grateful for those blessings, we have to realize that we live in a different world where there's more available to us now. So it's, the rules are changing and people who are hip to that, you know, are quitting their job or changing getting the job that they love or starting a business or a lifestyle business and things are changing very quickly. Um, and, you know, soft skills like empathy, love, connection, um, are starting to emerge as more important than like technical skill. And so, you know, again, we're in the middle of a big paradigm shift. And so, but for good reason, because, you know, not that long ago, our, you know, grandparents or their parents were like basically starving and dying in the Great Depression. And they had a very traumatic experience through that in World War I right before that and World War II right after that. And that's, we're only about 100 years removed from that, not even. And so, but the world has changed uh, dramatically since then.
0: Yeah, and again, I, I just want to reiterate, I, I love this idea of the soft skills that you keep talking about. It, I think it's one of the reasons why Gary Vaynerchuk has been as popular as he is, just because he really pushes this idea of empathy and um, you know not being so heady and, and operating more from the heart. And I think we're going to see a huge emergence of that, especially in um, entrepreneurship and, and just doing things differently, not so analytically, left brain. Um I'm curious, you know, you're right. I I think that we've been kind of caught up in this idea of status quo and, and don't, you know, ruffle any feathers, don't make any waves, like just get the job, have the kids, get a, a nice, um, quaint house, call it a day. Everything's good. Um, but I think that you're right. That does lead to, uh, unfilled life. So for those that are listening today, other than claim your power, because I would recommend everybody get that because it's a 40 day journey to get your ass in gear basically, um, and quit making excuses. He helps you through all of that. But for those who are listening today, what are three things that you can leave with the audience to just really help them unlock their potential and really step into, you know, their purpose?
1: Sure. I think, um, number one is, um, you've got to cultivate a mindset of courage and an experience of courage. And courage is not this like bravado or confidence where you're like, I'm kicking butt. Like you're terrified every step of the way. That's what courage is. Like you literally are shaking. It's messy. You're afraid, uh, but you're doing it anyway. So you, like be courageous every single day. You know, the, the, um, my fear maxim is that, you know, unless you're in mortal danger, fear is a compass showing you where to go. And so you've got to keep doing things that terrify you on a daily basis. Um, you've got to upgrade your environment and the, your peer group um, to people who believe uh, what you are becoming and believe in what you're becoming and support that. You know, um, think of it this way: like if you're like, I want to lose 100 pounds, like don't move into Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> right? Like don't do it. You know, you got to go, you know, move in with like a trainer. You know, <laughs> and, like just like you know, it's a different experience. You know, go move into a garden. Where there's only kale and tomatoes, you know, like it'll be your, the environment really informs people. Think that they can change their beliefs, which they can. But if your environment doesn't support that, then the environment will win long term. And then, I think the third thing that's most important is to focus so much on 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 helping and serving other people. And I know that that's said a lot, but the reason why people don't do that—they focus more on themselves, their numbers, their metrics, the money, whatever it is—is is because so many people that I work with, they come to me after being depleted of giving, you know, they were in a relationship or a business or something where they gave and gave and gave and gave and gave and 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 they got nothing back and they're kind of gun shy on giving again. And so, um, just know that when you give and when you serve others and you solve their problems, it's important. And when you do it in a way where you don't lose yourself, then you're not going to go through those old pains again of someone abandoning you or not being there for you or this giving without anything in return. So get, you know, serve others uh, while maintaining a sense of self. And I think, you know, if you're courageous, if you're in the right environment and you're serving other people while not losing yourself, you're going to be super successful.
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. Mastin, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom with my audience. There are so many great nuggets of information in this, and Ah. um, I I appreciate you so much.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on today.
0: What an incredible interview. I hope that each and every one of you walk away today with information, something, some nugget of information that you can put into work. I love this idea of soft skills, and I'm starting to hear it more and more. And I'm really hoping that more and more people are going to blossom into the idea of what this can do to not only our consciousness but humanity itself. So I hope that you have enjoyed this interview today. I know I did. I was so excited that uh, we've been trying to get Mastin on for over a year now, and his schedule just has not allowed it. So I'm so excited that. He finally had the time to sit down with me for an hour to have a chit-chat to share with all of you. I do want to say that um, I hope that all of you are having a fantastic new year so far. We have a ton of fantastic things, offerings for the beginning of this year. You can go over to our website to learn more about those. We've got the Elevate Retreat that's going to be happening in May. I've actually changed the dates as to, I think we originally announced it, uh, maybe the beginning of December, and it was originally going to be for a full week. And we had several people email us that they could not take off from work for an entire week. So I've actually backed it up. Uh, It's now gonna be over Mother's Day weekend so that it's a little bit tighter. It's gonna be easier for people to maybe take one or two days off of work rather than five. But if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, we're gonna be learning all about feng shui, cultivating your chi, ancient, energy principles like Reiki and a whole bunch of other stuff, but you can go to the website to learn more about that or sign up. Uh, If you're interested in the Elevate Yourself membership, that is also on the website and also... Uh, we have a new course coming out, uh, in about probably a week, uh, just a little mini course on how to attract real love with feng shui. You can go to courses.gatesinteriordesign.com right now to sign up, uh, for enrollment for that. Uh, you can purchase the course now and it will be going live in two weeks. Um, I'm really proud of it. It's a fantastic course. um, and it's all about love. You know, if you're looking to restore a relationship maybe get more intimacy in your life maybe you are looking for love this course is for you all right everyone my name is amanda gates i hope you've enjoyed this show if you do head on over to itunes leave us a review we love to hear from you and hey trust the vibe because the energy never lies